0: Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. We are now to the end of Colossians, in which we are doing, in some ways, a flyover, because we've only gone through nine sermons through this letter, and you could take a lot longer to go through it. And yet, so we've had to pass by a lot of things, and we're going to take a big chunk this morning, verses 2 through the end of the chapter, but really focusing on verses 7 to the end of the chapter. And I pray that the message of Colossians, or I should say the passion of Colossians, would become the overwhelming passion for you, and that is Jesus Christ and His glorious gospel. And I believe there are some in this room right now that probably have come week after week or many times who you are not yet a Christian, not truly you do not truly have the Holy Spirit abiding in you and you ha- bearing fruit in your life. You have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master and said, I reject all of the things and I take him. He is now my boss of my life. And I pray that by the Holy Spirit, he would use my words and these messages and this morning to draw you to himself. We're going to be in Colossians 4 and verse 2. I don't know if you enjoy reading military history. I love World War II history. Probably some of you are in that same way. It just kind of attracts people. So do the movies. The men of Easy Company of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, the 101st Airborne Division of the U.S. Army, They came from all different backgrounds. They came from all parts of the country. They were farmers and coal miners and mountain men and sons of the Deep South. Some were desperately poor and some from middle class. Some came from Harvard and Yale and a few from UCLA. Only one was from the old army, a veteran. Only a few came from the National Guard. Most of them were citizen soldiers. They came together in the summer of 1915. 42, by which time the Europeans had already been at war for three years. By the late spring of 1944, they had become an elite company of airborne light infantry. Early in that morning of D-Day, in its first combat action, Easy Company captured and put out critical German batteries that were aimed at the beaches. And through the next year and a half, they would face battle after battle at the Battle of the Bulge and Quarantine and Bastogne and the Rhineland Campaign. They even liberated Hitler's eagle's nest in Germany. During that time, they had taken almost 150% casualties. And at the peak of its effectiveness in Holland in October of 1944, and in, to the Ardennes in January of 45, it was as good a rifle company, as one author says, as there ever was in the world. At least so says Stephen Ambrose in Band of Brothers. And he writes, the job completed in 1945. The job completed, the company disbanded, and the men went home. Now, there are some important realities about this company, this called E-Company or Easy Company. They were people made up of ordinary homes, people from all over the country, rich and poor, ordinary sons, fathers, husbands. They were people. And they shared a camaraderie, company, enjoyed a type of friendship, a solidarity, a companionship that was deep and lasting until, for many of them, their death. And it was really personal. This company was not just in it for the business. It had become, at this time, they were fighting for their brother next to them. And Stephen Ambrose, who writes the book Band of Brothers, and it turned into HBO TV series, He quotes from Henry V, Shakespeare, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he who today sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. This reminds me of chapter 4 of Colossians, because at the end of this chapter, Paul describes his band of brothers. Paul has some final words for the Colossians, and with you look at me at Colossians 2, he begins this final section, and then he's going to give the final, final section. He says, continue steadfastly, verse 2, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and at the same time, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery, which is Christ, on account of which I am in prison, make that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, walk in wisdom, church, toward outsiders, unbelievers, making the best use of time. Let your speech, all that you say, let it be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Is This is another sermon for another day. And if so, I would preach it this way in verses 2 through 4. It would say to us all, speak to God about people. Faith Church, speak to God about people. How do we do that? Through prayer. Pray to God and do it diligently. And then in verses 5 and 6, I would say, speak to people about God. Speak to people about God. Meaning, Let your speech be seasoned. Be ready to talk. Make the best use of your time. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So speak to God about people and speak to people about God. And I hope to end here for say a few minutes at the very end. But I want us to look at the final words of Colossians beginning in verse seven. And I wonder how You, in your own Bible reading, would glean from them as you read this section because quite often, as we get to this part of the chapter, it seems like there's not a lot of substance, and we need to move on to the next book of the Bible because it just seems like a lot of names and some administration and some business. Let me state what goes on in these verses from verses 7 to 18. He accomplishes four things. First, he introduces the bearers of the letter. In verses seven through nine. It's like he's saying, Church, so and so is bringing you this letter to Kikis and Onesimus. They're faithful brothers, they're servants of the Lord King. Receive them as though they're, they're one of you and know that they are here to encourage your faith. That's the first thing he sa- tells them about who's sending the letter. And t- secondly, he says, Sends greetings from those who are with Paul. And if you remember, Paul is not in the Hilton. He's in prison. He is not in a place of comfort like a hotel, but he is in, at the very least, house arrest or worse. He is not a free man. And he says, by the way, so-and-so greets you. And then thirdly, he greets the churches personally, and he says, please, please greet everybody. Tell everyone I love them. And I'm thinking about them. And by the way, pass it on to your sister church, the church in Laodicea. And then finally in verses, verse 18, he says, he picks up his pen and writes the ending. Because presumably somebody else is writing it for him as he dictates. But at the very end, it's his own penmanship. And he says, I write this with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. As we finish this little book of Colossians. This look of Colossians that calls us to be obsessed with the gospel, to know Jesus Christ, to having received him, to walk in him, to treasure most fully all the fullness that is in Christ Jesus and his forgiveness and his cross, all the work of his cross in our lives and that we are hidden with him in Christ and that now because of that we take off the old clothing and we turn away from our sin and our sinful living and we put on and dress like Christians having put on the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in love and forgiveness and forbearance and patience, and after calling husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus looks so good as the treasure of their lives. He wraps this letter up, and I want to say that I believe that the message for us today, Faith Church, the message for you as a body of believers for us is this all Christians are fellow workers for the kingdom of God. I want you to see that in this passage. I want you to see, he says in verse 11. These are the only men of the circumcision among whom are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. I want, do you think of yourself as a fellow worker for the kingdom of God? You remember what Paul said earlier in this letter? I'll remind you. He says that you are to be thankful. We are to be thankful because he has Qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints, and he has transferred us, transferred us from the kingdom of slavery and darkness to in that dominion to the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is our reality, and he says, "You are now workers." In the kingdom of God. Oh, I hope you see that. Not just the pastors, not just the deacons, not just the few leaders of ministries or those that have been Christians a long time. If He has saved you, you are a worker for the kingdom of God. And you and I are called, let me use a phrase that we use because there's a conference named after this. We are together for the gospel. Our lives are together for the gospel. This gathering is a gospel gathering as a beacon in the midst of the world and you are to call unbelievers, you are to invite them into this. And you are to invite them into a place where they come for an hour and a half and hear singing in a world that hardly anybody sings unless you're up on stage and you watch a performance. And you come and you hear a monologue of somebody who has prayed and prayed and prayed and takes this book and says, they actually believe God wrote it. And we have to believe every word of it. And we, we care for each other and we actually ex- are expressive in our singing because we're singing things that relate to our eternity and to our help and our comfort right now and to our great God. We are worshiping. We are to invite people into that as workers for the kingdom of God. Now, I want to say to you all, all of us, our band of brothers and sisters for the gospel as workers for the kingdom of God, all by his grace. And he's going to use us and he intends to use us. But I want us to do that by highlighting how Paul ends his letters in verses seven. And I see three categories. I see when he says, talks about these workers for the kingdom of God, he says, they make up three things. They are an assortment of people. You know assortment, it's like a miscellaneous collection of things and people. Frankly, that's what we are at Faith Church. It's just a miscellaneous, it's in God's design, but a miscellaneous you, he, and her, all of us together, not random because God's in control, but we are an assortment of people brought together, and so are these people that Paul mentions at this other. End of the letter. And all of them have a unity of purpose and they have a gloriously personal relationship. It's gloriously personal, of which it is meant to be in our church. Let's look at, I want you to see a few of these things. All Christians are fellow workers for the kingdom of God and they make up of number one, an assortment of people. I want you to notice starting in verse seven, the assortment of people. And the names he mentioned and who they are, I want to highlight a few of them. And as I do that, I can't help but also reflect as we think about being part of the same cause of the assortment of people in this church, from the oldest members in here who are in their almost mid-90s, to the young little ones that are being born to those new believers that are getting baptized, to those young adults who just graduated from high school, for those little ones that are being taught in there. We're an assortment of different ages. He begins by showing us a diversity of fellas, and then one woman. He begins with Tychicus, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you of all my activities, he says. He is my, be- notice how he identifies him. He's my beloved brother. He's my loved brother. Probably, it, Paul doesn't mean this literally. It's not, he, they don't share the same mom and dad or dad. He's saying this in a spiritual sense. Tychicus, he is my loved brother in Christ. And he is a faithful, reliable, I can count on him minister. And he is a fellow servant because that's what I am too. I'm just a servant. I'm literally a slave of Jesus Christ. He's a servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The same guy is the one that delivered the letter in Ephesians chapter 6, we find. This might have been one of Paul's favorite couriers. Tychicus, I need you to take another letter. Will you do it? I know it's going to be hard, it's going to be a lot of traveling, and it's not easy. But I need you to go and deliver this message because the churches need it. I need you to sacrifice your life and your health to take this so that you could care for these others' bodies because this is needed. Yeah, I'll go, Paul. He then mentions in verse 9, Onesimus, another messenger, another one. He's presumably traveling with Tychicus together. They they travel, and it says, verse 9, and with him, Onesimus. He says about him, he is our faithful and our loved brother, our beloved brother, who is one of you, Colossi. He's one of the Colossians. He's a citizen there. They together will tell you everything that has taken place. Now, we don't know just from these words about Onesimus. If you were to go in your Bible and look to the book of Philemon, you'll find Onesimus is an interesting guy. He is actually a slave, and he was a runaway slave, and he was on the run, and he His life, by God's design, intersected with the Apostle Paul. He heard the gospel and was saved. And Paul said, you need to go back to Philemon, your master, who is actually a godly man. You did him wrong because you understand slavery in their time often had to do with you were bound because you you sold yourself into slavery because you were in debt. You still owed and you could work that off. There was this debt. He said, Onesimus, I'm going to send you back with this letter. That's what Philemon is. Philemon is still a slave, a bondservant. And he says, this Philemon, receive him as one of you. He's one of you, receive him. He is a faithful and he is a beloved brother. Listen to what Paul would say to Philemon about him. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. He's his child probably because he led him to the Lord, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. Sending, when I send him to you, I am sending my own heart. I'm sending my own heart. That's Onesimus, servant, fellow worker for the kingdom, serving Paul. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Now Paul reminds them, hey, by the way, I'm still in prison. Aristarchus might have been in prison because he was forced to be in prison, or it might be the possible, and it's very likely that Aristarchus was in prison because he's there as a servant of Paul to help him out and volunteer to go in there, bringing him food and taking care of him. And then we find Mark, and Mark, we're still in verse 10, he's the cousin of Barnabas. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Mark was with Paul, and Mark might come to them as well. From one study Bible, it says, this is the same person as John Mark, who accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey and suddenly departed, and over whom Paul and Barnabas had sharp disagreement... This is the same Mark that Paul and Barnabas fought over because Paul said, he's a quitter. I can't rely on him. He's not a faithful brother. I can't rely on him and I cannot go because this is too dangerous. And if he turns on me, this is not gonna work. And Barnabas says, no, he, give, let's give him another chance. And Paul and Barnabas divided over this guy. Well, now this is years later and Paul has Mark back. And he realizes this Mark, John Mark, is so valuable to him. He is a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. This is a picture of how God gives second chances. How many times have we blown it? It could be like Mark and go, I'm just not useful for the ministry. But instead, Paul is going to write at the end of his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he's going to say, in a sense, he's writing his living will, or he's writing his will as he's dying, and he's saying, now, now, Mark, he is so useful and profitable for the ministry, where at one time he said, I have no use for Mark. I think probably Paul grew in, hum- in that his patience and humility, and Mark was restored. Thank God he uses restored people in our churches, Right? <laughs> How many of us need to be restored often by the grace of God? We do, and God did this in the life of Mark. He's a man, God is a God of second chances, and Mark was a receiver of second chances. And then he says in verse 11, Oh, and Jesus... Now that sounds interesting. Jesus was a common name. It, it stopped being common in the next centuries, but and Jesus, but who is called Justice, so let's just call him Justice, not to confuse him with Jesus Christ. He says, he just, that's all he says about them. And then he says this in verse 11. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God and they have been a comfort to me. He says, these men are among the circumstances most likely to say they are Jews. In the midst of a lot of Gentiles, including some guys that I'm going to name in just a minute here, but these are, these are the only Jews that have been with me throughout this time, and I thank God they are fellow workers. They have locked arms with me. For the kingdom of God, and they have been such a comfort. They have cared for me. They have prayed for me. They have probably fed me. They have brought medicine to me. They are dear to me, these brothers. Then he lists Epaphras. Guys, would you look with me at Epaphras here in verse 12? But before you do that, you could, you could either listen to me or you could follow me as I turn to Colossians chapter 1 because that's how he starts this letter. I love this cat character, Epaphras. Guys, I, I call you to live a life of prayer for your church. And one of the examples of living a life of prayer is to go to Epaphras. Pastors, elders, let us live and be like Epaphras. But members, please do the same. It says in Colossians 1.7, he says, The grace of God came to you, Colossians. He's writing this introduction. He says, And just as you heard the gospel, the grace of God, you heard it from Epaphras, our fe- a beloved fellow servant. Just always note on how he, co- he uses adjectives. He's my beloved servant. He's my fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the spirit. He's basically saying it was Epaphras who somehow came across Paul, heard the gospel, went back to Colossae and told them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a church was born. People were saved. They turned their lives over to Jesus because of this faithful minister, Epaphras. And at the end of this chapter, Epaphras is in jail probably with Paul. Wherever Paul is, most likely Rome. And Paul says now, in, back to chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you. It'd be like us getting a letter from Brian, who has some, some Brian in Cameroon, and one of you goes and lives now with Brian for, for years and is helping Brian, and he writes, Hey, and I want to tell you about so-and-so. You know, he's one of you. This is, I want you to hear his track record. He is, he greets you. That means almost like he wants to embrace you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. For whatever reason, Paul, not because Epaphras was a bragger and said, it was, it was just always like praying in a self-praising way. But Paul knew that Epaphras prayed, and he prayed often, prayed constantly for those Christians in Colossae. He got on his knees, and it says he struggled for them in his prayers. That word is he wrestled Wrestled with God probably in his prayers constantly, praying for the members in Colossae, the church. And he says, I just, I need to tell you this that he is constantly wrestling on your behalf, going to God, praying for your salvation, praying that you'll stay faithful, praying for your protection or your faithfulness to the end, praying that God would spiritually prosper you and that you would have joy forevermore. That's Epaphras, my. Fellow servant, your fellow servant, he says. And it says that he's always praying that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. It says one more thing in verse 13. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Here's Epaphras. He labors, he wrestles. In his prayers for the souls of those he loves. Fathers and mothers, that needs to be us. We need to wrestle, labor, struggle on the behalf of our children in our prayers that they may stand mature and be fully assured in the will of Christ, truly knowing him. We need to wrestle in our prayers for our grandchildren. Children, we need to wrestle in our prayers for our siblings and our co-workers. You need to wrestle within your prayers for those in your youth group and for your accountability group way more than you fight on a video game. Way more than we spend our time doing the things that we want in leisure, we spend time wrestling in prayer because we believe that God is a prayer-hearing God that works, and one of the greatest ways he works is to say, I'm gonna do it, but I just ask you to talk to me about it and cry out to me and, and pray. This is a ministry of love. When we covenant together as a church, we covenant to pray for each other to wrestle in our prayers for one another. And I plead with you that you would pray for me. He then goes on in verse 14 and says, now Luke, doesn't say much about him, he just says, Luke, oh, he's the beloved physician, the doctor, he greets you. Yes, this is Luke from the book of the Bible, Luke. Luke ends up, who's probably a a Gentile, non-Jew, but we're not sure. He was educated has a physician, and he ends up writing the book of Luke, the book of Acts, a big chunk of the New Testament. He just happens to be with Paul in prison. Paul writes and says, he greets you. And then he says, Demas, as does Demas. Now, will you just pause there? As does Demas. Who's Demas? Do you know who Demas is? Probably don't. Some of you might. We don't know a lot about Demas, but we know something about Demas. If Mark, mentioned earlier, had a bad beginning, but a great ending, at least from the records in the New Testament. If Mark started out immaturely, poorly, with a weak faith, but then was restored and renewed, Demas started out well and ended out really poorly. All he says here by this time in Colossians is, and so does Demas. But we read at the end of Paul's very last letter he wrote in 2 Timothy, at the very end, he's in prison. We now know he was about to die by Nero Caesar, who was gonna behead Paul. He writes this. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me for Demas This Demas, in love for this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He was done with suffering for Jesus Christ. He was done with his allegiance to Christ and to Paul, and he ran, and he fled. At this point in the letter, we don't know this, he's doing well here, and that is a cautionary tale and a warning to us at Faith Church, oh, God... Help us to be faithful. Help us to not be like Demas. Help us not to be in love with this present world. Because I'll tell you what, when people leave the faith, that's the primary reason they leave the faith, is they have found they've fallen in love with this present world. Christianity stuff just doesn't make sense. It's too hard. It's too inconvenient. It just doesn't click for them. It's not real. But I plead with you. It is real. It is glorious. And Demas is a warning to us. He's the last name that is mentioned, and we move to verse 15. His fellow workers continue and go into categories. Well, Actually, he gives one more name, but here he just says, give my greetings to the brothers. I love that statement. I'm thankful for the brothers of Faith Church. I'm also Greatly thankful for the sisters of faith church. But here he just says, greet the brothers at Laodicea. They're fellow workers. They're blessing to me. And then he says, and to Nympha, this is all in verse 15. And the church in her house, here is most likely a lady, maybe wealthy and probably a widow, who has taken the church into her house and said, my riches are for the kingdom. My home is for the kingdom. My life is for the kingdom. I'm just so thankful that the fellow workers of Faith Church make up some pretty special widows who are fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and I'm thankful for that. And Paul was too here. He's thanking God. May we thank God for the generous widows in our lives at this church some with money and some might not have it, but all with prayer and service and care. God is using their gifts to the body of Christ. And then in verse 16, he says to the church of Laodiceans. And when his letter has been read among you, you should read it to the church of Laodicea. They're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ too. This is a church probably about 10 miles away from the church Paul's writing to. It's a sister church. We have sister churches. Thankful for... First Baptist in Fenton and the village in Byron. And First Baptist in Holly and Mayfair Bible in Flushing. Those are just a few I was with this week. I praise God for that brotherhood, that partnership, fellow workers in the kingdom. He then finally says in verse 17, and Archippus. And say to Archippus, who is in Colossae, See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. And it seems most likely that this man is a leader in the church or a young leader who God had called to the ministry. And he says, encourage him to continue on and keep going on. I guess we could say those are fellow workers of Paul for the kingdom. But there's one other that I hope you'll see in just a minute. But you see, these are assorted people. And they had a unity of purpose. I've already been saying that this unity of purpose is the kingdom of God. Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, slave and free, doesn't matter. But Christ is all and in all. Chapter 3, believe it, we're verse 11. They're educated or not, male and female. Probably a lot of differences in personalities and mindsets and educations and backgrounds. But workers for the kingdom of God. And the gospel brings us to a unity of purpose. Oh, friends, I call you to love and live and unite for this unity of purpose. We need to be a people obsessed with, overwhelmed with this gospel that there is a glorious God who made us, and he made us for his glory that we may know and enjoy him forever. He made everything in the world in it, and we are accountable to him. But the reality is we do not live for his glory, and we, with all of humanity in Adam fell, and we live for our own plans, our own purposes. We do not believe his promises like we ought to. We instead exalt ourselves and in pride try to rule and be our own God and king And that is rebellion, and it is called sin, and we fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is surely death, and we will be destroyed. That is the message that the whole world needs to hear. They are under the condemnation of this justice from God because of our rebellion and our unfaithfulness to this God who made us. But God, here's the good news, he gave his son, Jesus, who came into this world and lived a perfect life, And he fulfilled all obedience to the Father that was required, and he went to the cross, and he paid as a substitute to be the substitute and the forgiveness of sins for everyone who hears hearing this message responds by believing it, trusting in Christ, and turning away from their sins. And in turn... He does not punish us, but instead gives us forgiveness and eternal joy in life and his spirit and his family being adopted into his family. That is what unifies these men and women. That is what is to unify this church, and that is what unifies and calls us to at Faith Church. The last thing I want you to see is how gloriously personal it was and is and is meant to be. For the Apostle Paul, it was so personal. He says, my beloved brother. When he talks about Onesimus to Philemon, he says, when I send him to you, I'm sending my very heart. When he writes to them, he tells them, they are a great comfort to me. This is not merely business. This is personal we are called into a family to love each other and care, each other, care for each other and invest in each other, and that's what we see in this, and that is what we are called to. How do we respond to these things? I, I want to ask, call you, Faith Church, thank God for the workers for the kingdom of God in your life. Thank God for all of those people that preach the word of God and why you're saved today. Give God thanks for those fellow workers, for those Sunday school teachers, those faithful camp workers, for the VBS leaders. Thank God for mom and dad who faithfully shared the word, or grandpa or grandma, or somebody in this church, or a pastor that you knew. Thank them for, just give God thanks, and maybe thank them and Help them. Help the faithful kingdom workers in your life and support them by praying for them. That's how he ends this letter in verse 2 of this chapter. In verse 3, I should say, he says, and pray for me. Devote yourself to prayer. And while you're doing that, please pray for me that I will have clarity and, and I will have an open door for the word. And support them, and like Nympha supporting financially, and the church supporting Paul and others financially. So thank them, and help them, and join them. Join them. Friends, you are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called to share Christ with this world. You are put in this place for a purpose, and it is not for you just to, be, to fill your life with a bunch of comforts and hobbies and leisures. Those are gifts from God that you can praise him for, but they should only turn you towards a greater devotion to be on mission to share the glory of God in Jesus Christ to others. And the reality is there is no greater comfort and pleasure than doing that, even though it's hard. I call you to join in gospel work by sharing the gospel, serving in the church as a fellow worker, asking God to give you. Would you pray and ask God to give you more important, more opportunities this week to help people know Christ better? Please do that. Ask God to help you have more opportunities to help Others know Christ more and pray for those opportunities and look for those opportunities because He will bring them to your life. Welcome people to the gospel like Epaphras did. Invite them to church. Invite them into your life. Please don't just say that's a neat thing that there's this, this Bible, neighborhood Bible stuff going on in these in the church. You're that's for you. This gathering is to worship God and for you to live a life bringing people in, not because this is an evangelistic service primarily, no, but they are to come in and go, what kind of strange world did I enter in? And yet they'll see the Holy Spirit is here, even though they can't put any words like to that effect. I've had people tell me they've come in here and go, get blown away by your singing, and go, What? it's been so long that I've ever been into a church where I actually saw people sing and they sang and they sang like they believed it. And I looked around and I saw their faces and they meant it. I don't know because I haven't been here long, they would say, but there is something different. That is a testimony of a few ladies that I've talked to over the last month that I think were saved because of the message here on Sunday morning, including your message of singing and showing up and ministering and that's, I think, part of what he begins this chapter with when he says, pray and then walk in wisdom towards outsiders and let your, let your speech be seasoned with salt and be prepared to give an answer. Oh, let your Sunday morning time be seasoned with salt and just being prepared and prayed and seeking the Lord. Would you please do that? Would you please, I I don't think we think enough about inviting people and calling people. I understand that. That's an encore. So I'll say it again. Um, I don't think, I don't think enough of us are enough obsessed with the calling the gospel has its authority over my life. That means I need to apply it to my life and to my children and to my sin, but also to my neighbors. And if I either need to have people with me at church, or I, have, I, I come to church going, oh, they didn't come, but I'm going to keep praying and inviting. Either I come with somebody, or I, I am, I'll say it again, I have a handful of people that I have been actively inviting and praying for. That they would be enter into the people of God and see something different. I guess I would say that Paul lists a bunch of fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And the last fellow worker I've already stated is you and me the church in Colossi that he's writing to. He's not saying just these list of guys that are in prison with me or sending the letter or being trained for the ministry. They're not just the fellow workers. It's you, Colossae. It's you, church. You're called to pray like Epaphras. You are called to serve like Paul. You are called to take the message and be a light to outsiders, taking every opportunity. Oh, may God help you and me. The church is not a few clergy doing everything and everybody spectators. The church is a body of Christ with many members, with one head, Jesus Christ, giving life to every member. And that life comes through the gospel that saved us. Oh, if you're here and it hasn't saved you, it saves you. It can save you. It can take away your sins, forgive you, give you assurance, and and set you on a mission of being His son forever, God's son forever. Oh, may that happen. And it gives us the way and the fuel as we go. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a final song. A song of his living because he lives. Because he lives, we have life. Because he lives, we are in Christ. Because he lives, we are a people on this mission. Oh God, please, would you, would you take your word, would you take your, by your spirit, I pray that you would move us as a church to be more obedient as faithful fellow workers of the kingdom because you've called us out of, out of hell and you brought us into heaven. And you will bring us to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.